certainly good to see the number that we have present today. It's great to see Micah and Heather here. You are greatly missed. I felt like my arm was being chopped off the night he made the announcement they were going to be leaving. And yet we know that uh, they're in a congregation in Louisiana and they're not too awful far away and able to come back from time to time. And what a wonderful thing it is to see them and other brethren and sisters that we love very much come and be with us as well. Hope things are going well for you and your family. If not, we need to share with one another to be encouraged and to be built up in the most holy faith. If you will be turning in your New Testaments to Acts, we'll be in Acts the 6th chapter and the 7th chapter today. We're going to be talking about a lesson that was not necessarily a sermon inside uh, a congregation on meeting of the church, but rather mostly about what Stephen is <coughs> saying to the Sanhedrin council when uh, pulled into court and kind of told, uh, give account for yourself uh, for the things that are being said about you. Um, two or three things before we start that are worthy of note, I, I urge you uh, to look forward to as, as I am. Uh, our Bible class continues well in the life of Christ, but we're in the last week of his life, and as we travel, Lord willing, on through June, uh, we'll be starting a new topic of study in July. And Jonathan has agreed to help me uh, work through hermeneutics, which I can't spell it yet, but um, it's just how do we study the Bible to interpret it properly? What tools can we use so we can interpret it properly? We don't have a catechism, we don't make up man-made rules, and, and within the four walls of this building, whoever's a member of this local flock, we just agree what the truth is, and then we're going to follow that. That would be creedal, and we don't have the authority as men and women, nor the smarts, to do it the right way. God gave us his revelation in such a way that it can be understood, and we need to do our best to understand it on an individual by individual basis, not just leaning on those who we love and appreciate uh, for our answers unequivocally, but rather we have to make our faith our faith. We need to study with each other. We need to bounce ideas off of each other. There is much good that can come from interaction uh, in Bible study together and not isolation. Uh, a lot of people that I study with are dead got a lot of books that are on a lot of controversial subjects. And the reason is, is because I don't want to be wrong on a controversial subject. And I can't think of all the iterations, maybe, by myself of what could the meaning of certain passages be. And uh, they are several, meaning many, and they are divided, which means they're not all coming to the same agreement. And, and yet God has said in Ephesians 3, in the context of around verse 4, that when we read... As uninspired people, normal humans without gifts of the Holy Spirit that are miraculous, we can understand as Paul understood the mystery of Christ. And so we do have the wherewithal, but we must make application and apply ourselves. In Acts the sixth chapter, there are things that divide good brethren about the interpretation and application of what is church action in the well of the realm of benevolence. And it would do us well to study, and this is not the totality in Acts 6 of that particular subject. There are more things throughout the entire pattern of God's Word uh, 
um, which we'll speak about as our third pre-topic to the lesson today. Evangelism, if you will look in the sixth chapter of Acts and verses 2 through 4, is one of what is commonly called the three works of the church, the local church. Evangelism, edification, and benevolence. And there are some really, really strong men in the faith that I admire very, very much on many Bible passages, and they've helped me understand through their writings and teachings um, much about God's Word. But the two that I'm thinking of at this time have uh, both advocated that you can distill down, distill down uh, benevolence and just make it evangelism. In fact, one of them wrote in a very popular track that he has that just three words, benevolence is evangelism. And I think he put an exclamation point behind it. We need to be very careful about this when we think about the pattern of God's Word with regard to different works of the church, different acts of worship, or we'll start breaking down barriers between how we can sing and meet every day as a congregation. So does that mean that we can take the Lord's Supper every day of the week? Uh, because if we say that we can do everything in evangelism and in, in benevolence, then it, it will mean certain things and ramifications that some of our loving brethren have taken. And I say this for my benefit as well, because that doesn't mean I've set myself up to be right on uh, these subjects. I, like you, am trying to discern as God would have us be and at every time have the, the proper attitude of heart because we can be lost with the truth and a bad attitude of heart on any Bible subject as well. The third thing is, and several of the brethren here are already studying ahead of the hermeneutics class, with regard to is there a pattern? And if there is a pattern, like on women preachers and women elders in churches of Christ, is it right or is it wrong? What does the Bible have to say? Uh, some of you may already say, well, I've studied that and I know what the Bible teaches. Well, can you defend it? Can you speak to those who do not agree with you in other churches of Christ where they have women preachers and when they have women elders? And uh, in debate and, and being asked about this, the, the thing is there's, there's not a specific pattern, therefore the women are included. Well, is that the case? If that's the case, we need to all teach and believe and practice that. But if there is a pattern, we need to know why, when, where, what does the Bible say? So keep that in mind as we go through studies because these are real. These are with our brethren that we love. And certainly, if we're teaching that something is wrong when it's right, something's forbidden when it's allowed, uh, then we've got a problem on our side of our beliefs and practices as individuals and congregations. Preliminary uh, hint, I don't believe that women preachers and elders are uh, prohibited. Excuse me. Are endorsed, approved, allowed by God's Word in New Testament uh, local churches. So now let's look to Acts the 6th chapter and capture some of these thoughts in uh, breaking it down into some segments of both chapters. We've got a situation where the we're a couple years maybe at the most from Pentecost. There are brethren of ours that have been in Jerusalem for a while, 
And notice what is said in verses 1 through 7. Acts 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, this is the English Standard Version, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that is the apostles, summoned the full number of disciples, so here's a church matter coming up, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, they weren't saying we're not going to do the benevolence. They're not saying that we don't need to do this benevolence for some distinction. They're saying we need to keep preaching. They weren't minimizing saying they were too good as apostles to engage in benevolence. Paul ran all around the country taking up contributions and risking his life preaching the gospel and all with regard to the poor saints at Jerusalem and the contribution mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 where he was also preaching the same thing to the churches of Galatia, as we see there. But continuing in our text, Therefore, brothers, verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, capitalized initially, I believe it's talking about the, about the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this Duty, some translations say, to this business. Yes, the church has business to conduct. And it has benevolence as some of her business, but not all of her business. It has evangelism and edification all the time. But there are sometimes needs that arise within the local congregation or other brothers and sisters in Christ in different places that as we have the ability and opportunity as a congregation, we might help. Or as individuals, we find those passages that allow us to do that as well as those who are not uh, members of the body of Christ, if they are worthy candidates of relief. So we get to the names of these people, and notice that two out of the seven are known to us probably more significantly, being Stephen and Philip, who taught the eunuch, I take this to be that Philip, then the other five that are there. But notice when they make the appointments, And what they said, that is the apostles, pleased the whole gathering, and they, this was a united effort, I take it to be the day to, to, to be talking about the group, the apostles and the disciples that were there were in agreement on this selection. And they chose Stephen, man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and that's two of them. Here comes five more. And Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This would be the Hebrew priests that were still practicing Judaism up until that time and they were converted to Christianity. Why? Because the preaching kept going on. We have to keep sowing the seed, and then we're able to do, not to the neglect of anything else that we need to be doing. So Stephen is a person that is mentioned here, full of the Holy Ghost. I take it that he probably already had the miraculous. Uh, it's academic. Uh, I'm not going to say it has to, has to be that way. The laying on the hands either was to confer, uh, confer by the laying on of the apostles' hands to the rest of them, and including uh, Stephen if he didn't have it. 
miraculous or merely a official ceremony showing the approval and endorsement of the apostles on the things that were going forward with this selection. We can study that uh, and a sidetrack as well about when elders and deacons uh, are selected today um, in churches of Christ. Is the laying of the hands uh, permitted? Is it optional? Is it mandatory? Is it forbidden? That's not to our study today. So we've got this problem. It exists. And we've got ongoing revelation at this time. The wholeness of the perfect law of liberty has not been uh, delivered, but it's being delivered. Jesus did a lot of it, Luke 16, 16, while he was still on earth. John chapters 14, 15, 16 teach he couldn't give it all, not because he wasn't able, but because his 12 apostles weren't able to digest it and maintain it, and that they would need to have help, and Jesus would send another comforter. His father would also be sending that comforter. So it was a joint effort, like Jonathan's doing a great job of in our Bible class. If you've got something being said over here in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and then you've got another Gospel writing, something that seems to be the same thing. It might be at a different time. It might be in a different city. Or it might be two men are mentioned by one. It's the same incident. And then one man is selected out by the other Gospel writer. There's no contradictions in God's Word. We must meet the burden of striving to see where the harmony is uh, without any fabrication whatsoever because God's Word is right in the way that He has manifested it to us. We're leading up to a problem, though, here. We've we, we just begun to solve this problem, and everybody is happy. It pleased the whole multitude that we've got these men, and I do not think it to be unnoticed that these men were probably of the same ilk, if you will, called Hellenists that had converted as the widows. We've got a proselyte mentioned in here. Uh, I know that the first Gentile converts were not until Cornelius. But we've got this situation where during that whole time period, excuse me, the Roman Empire was in control at that time. Koine Greek was the common man's language, the everyday language that was being used. And there would be children of those who would be Hebrew, who were Jewish, who were raising their children up previously as... <coughs> excuse me. Thank you, John. <coughs> as they would need to be raised before Christ's kingdom came on Acts 2 Pentecost. And yet they had children that maybe all they ever knew was speaking Greek. And their parents were doing everything they could to also try to teach them how to speak Hebrew because it may have been their second language, if you will, meaning the children. Maybe in some cases the parents. The point is, is that it pleased the entire multitude that this would be handled by, thank you, the folks that were best situated and understood who these people were who had origins in other places and we're not told whether they had come in for Pentecost and had stayed for a period of time with the Lord's Church being established and if they had family members with them or not. We don't have that 
information in the text there. But they go forth and things continue as the gospel goes forth to be preached. But that, of course, is causing a big trouble and a big stir, just like it did when Jesus was teaching that the kingdom of God was at hand or near while he was alive on the earth. So the next thing we notice is, is that the glory of God is being taught, shine forth as it was supposed to, and this wasn't going to sit well with those who were connected with the Sanhedrin. So let's look at 2, um, at uh, chapter 7, verses 2 through... Uh, I want, to, I want to read in between what we have in, in Stephen being seized real quick. Let's get back to 6 and verse 8 to the end of that chapter. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. See, that did not work. So then they pick another route like they did with Jesus. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So here's a false charge. Perjury, if you will. And they stirred up all the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and the law of Moses. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, notice now, just like in Acts 2, Paul even started with the common ground of there is this character, this historical figure called Jesus of Nazareth, but then he preaches and he brings it through the prophets and all, and he said, that's, that's the Christ, that's the Messiah. And you're going to see that connection here where in the sermons of Acts 2 and then Acts 3 and now here coming in his speech, Stephen's speech as opposed to Peter's, is going to match the same concepts with regard to convicting the people of sin and talking about Jesus being the Christ and there needing to be change on the part of these religious leaders and the people, even the common folk, need to come forth and convert to the new way of Christianity, if you will. They secretly instigated men, verse 11, who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people and elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, being Stephen, and seized him, and brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then comes Stephen's speech after being asked this by the high priest. And the high priest said, Are those things so? So he opens the door widely for Stephen, and he's going to give what's commonly called his defense of the gospel. And watch how he does it as we have it here recorded. He's going to go to common ground. 
and remember we had that big word evangelism splattered up on the screen one of the things that is in my effort to present these lessons and going over these speeches sermons discourses uh, interactions where the Bible's being taught whether it's one-on-one -on -one like Philip with the unit and what was stated in that in preaching and teaching the gospel or whether it be uh, a large audience like we had in Acts the second chapter uh, with all of the apostles being involved speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance so the people could understand here we have Stephen giving his defense and he's got a lot of ears open and an opportunity it's gonna cost him his life but our life on this earth is not worth that much it's our soul that's what's worth something our life on this earth is supposed to be worth something in the kingdom of God so I don't want to give the impression I think it's no value but if right now if everybody was told those in this building if you'll just step outside uh, you'll go to heaven I know we've got some loved ones that aren't here today and we've got other relatives that are in other places but I don't know how many people would be left in here if that was a genuine, bona fide offer. Um, everybody that steps outside this building would be able to go to heaven. That's too good an offer um, to pass up. So here comes Stephen giving his defense. And he's going to start with the patriarchs of Israel in verses 9 through 16. Stephen said first, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory that appeared to our father Abraham. Here's common ground that he starts with. When he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out of the land of the Chaldeans and he lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. He's reminding them of Abraham. He's reminding them of Sarah's condition with Abraham and the seed promise coming through Isaac. These Jews know something of their heritage. They're very very knowledgeable to their genealogies. Let's move on. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision and so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. Got all of that story and what we know. We're still in the book of Genesis now with Joseph. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over his household, excuse me, over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan in great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. Our fathers, see how he connects with the audience. He's not trying to trick them into obeying the gospel or believing that Jesus is the Christ. He's proving it from the Old Testament scriptures, 
bringing it forth, Judah Jew, hey, let's go over these things because this was happening and there were miracles along the way like we're studying in Genesis that should strengthen our faith today even though we're not under the same exact circumstances of having a total Jewish community that, it, that uh, were in that and now we're trying to persuade them, come on, we found the Messiah. You need to be with us now. But that's what's happening in, in Stephen's day in, in the main because we haven't yet got to the gospel being preached to those who were the Gentiles until after Cornelius and his household. So we're down to 12. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. You can study the 70 versus the 75 uh, and get back with me on that and tell me what you find out. And Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought, bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her only son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Time after time, there's a hurdle that God is helping the ancestors of all these Jews do not the ordinary, but the extraordinary that it takes to keep this seed promise alive. It could have been chopped off in many instances, and we're in the Jacob and Esau, a most recent on the Wednesday night, and it just continues to go, not ordinarily the right way, but because God is of his promises, all of his promises, they continue to work in such a way with his help that it's going to happen and come true, and it has, and Stephen is pleading for the souls of those that would listen to convert them to the understanding of Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bread of life, as we've read. All right, last time Mark preached 40 minutes, it went 10 minutes past the hour, and we're up two minutes past the hour now. So I'm going to put a peg in, but I'm going to give you uh, the summation in the sense of Stephen goes before the Sanhedrin. He talks about the God of glory, the patriarchs. He gets through Moses and on through the exodus of the children of Israel. The tabernacle being built and it being mentioned that it was according to the pattern. The tabernacle, the tent. Later the temple was built according to the pattern. In the New Testament, we have this word, two popes, and different forms of it. And if you don't mind, turn to Romans, the sixth chapter right now. And people are asking the question, what's our hermeneutic? What's it supposed to be? Uh, is there a pattern in New Testament Christianity? Or do we just love one another, and Jesus loves everybody, and God the Father loves everybody? So there's really not many rules. Yes, there's some sin 
but uh, we're really free to do, as long as it's in the name of the Lord we say and it's good, or we think it's good, then we're okay to do it. Is that the standard? No. And, and there are places like Romans 6 and verse 17 when the word tupos, which means a stamp, an image, that's supposed to yield the same result every time, like a seal. God has a pattern for New Testament Christianity to include what we can do and what's wrong and what are liberties for the individual and what the local church is mandated to do, what it's forbidden to do, and those things that might be in the realm of authorized expedience through generic authority. And so we want to urge every one of us, including the world on the outside, to come to Christ and to try to live for him that we be saved in the end. All right, Romans 6, verse 17. Again, the English Standard Version. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. Now, Paul is preaching many years later than Pentecost, writing to the church at Rome, the saints at Rome. And he says that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart. So this is something they're doing by faith. They really believed in it. To the standard of teaching. Some translations say that form of doctrine. Some other English translations say the pattern of. And the word tupos is there. Strong's numbering system has it, I think, 51, uh, 79. Have become obedient from the heart to the standard or form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So we put down serving ourselves, and we take on Christ. As the seed was mentioned that needs to die so that the big tree can grow and bear lots of fruit, we need to kill ourselves, the old man of sin, and quit doing things our way and start thinking about applying the passages in every aspect of our life. And if it gets a little uncomfortable when it's what we've got people in this town and as individuals, we need to see about how we, within our means and abilities, as individuals, can help them, as has been suggested. Amen to that. Because i got a verse. I can see Ephesians 4, 8 says, I'm supposed to even plan in my personal budget to be able to do such a thing as that. Or James, and the passage in Galatians 6, 10. We cannot exclude those from our faith and the fabric of who we try to grow into be if we're not there yet. And it steps on my toes. Pricks my heart. But we are so blessed. I think we can do better. And I believe we are going to do better. I truly, truly believe that we have the desire here to be the kind of congregation that if there were a letter coming from Jesus to the church at Walnut Street in Jessup like there were to the seven churches of Asia, and Christ did it every other year, we would want it to change. We would want to take heed from taking inventory to what Jesus said. He said it. We just got to keep flipping the pages. And as individuals, as well as this congregation, I believe that we're trying to reach out to try to encourage each other to continue the love and good works we're already doing. This is a grand congregation. 
but not to give ourselves a broken arm by patting ourselves on the back so much that we can't see the other areas of needed improvement in whatever the case may be. I'm under 40 minutes, so get your songbook out. And I appreciate the way in which that you've listened. I had some problems. I had a good PowerPoint. And uh, maybe I would have stayed on track a little bit quicker. Maybe I just had that much to say in love. I'm not sure. But the lesson is yours. Read through the rest, if you will, please, of the seventh chapter and see how Stephen defends to his death that which is right, and he prays going down in his death, being martyred, probably the first martyr for Christianity that we can find. Of course, we're not counting Jesus on the cross, but we've got after uh, Acts 2 Pentecost, the first Christian that we know of that was killed for their belief and their practice. And they did, he could have just shut up. <laughs> Said, well, I don't have much to say. Uh, what kind of punishment? You know, you're going to give me. Well, they could have tried to enforce up to death anyway. But it certainly ticked them off when he got to the last part of his sermon. And I'll leave that for your reading this afternoon. If you're here and there's anything that we can do for you spiritually, um, God is willing. And we're willing to try to help in any way that we can. If you're not a member of the body of Christ and you desire baptism, as mentioned in every bulletin recently, and I love it staying in there, just ask. We can assist you in baptism. Day or night, service or not, not service time, whatever the case may be, be happy to do so. Will you come while together we stand and sing the songs and select?